This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the twice-weekly podcast with me, Steve Richards. Thanks so much for tuning in wherever you are in the UK and indeed around the West, rest, West, the rest, not just the West of the world. Thank you very much. As ever, we've got a lot to cram in together. Now, if you hear the occasional background murmur, I'm recording this at an airport um, you know, I'm on my never-ending tour, the sort of Bob Dylan of political journalism. And the plane's been delayed, and, you know, it's, I, you know what it's like with me when I travel. I've done whole podcasts on the chaos that erupts. Um, so I won't have time to do it when I get to uh, Belfast, where rock and roll politics is live. So I'm doing it now here in the uh, airport while... Um, the planes are all sorted amidst the usual packed chaos. Now, as I say, we've got so much to cram in. Uh, before I do, a couple of notices. Say Rock and Roll Politics is on a never-ending tour at the moment. And uh, I'll be live at uh, the legendary Rope Tackle uh, in Shoreham on Wednesday evening. And then on Saturday, get lots of emails. Can you come to the northeast? Can you come to the north? Now, I know that's a huge, huge, vast area. Uh, but Rock and Roll Politics is live at the equally legendary Witham Art Centre in Barnard Castle, where else, um, on uh, Saturday, April the 1st. So why not make a day of it, go for a walk, and then come to the Witham for some live rock and roll politics. Um, there are more dates, but that'll do for the next few days. So I'm now in an airport waiting for a flight. I bet this never happens to Bob Dylan. You know, he'll get VIP treatment and uh, go off on some private plane. But anyway, we are where we are. And as I start recording, tannoys are erupting around us for the first time. But anyway, uh, I hope you can hear this loud and clear. So I'm going to do something quite unusual at the beginning, uh, which is to start with a couple of your emails. Uh, because if you remember, those of you who listened to my interview with Michael Cockrell in the last podcast, we left it on a bit of a cliffhanger because Michael concluded he was giving an overview of where Johnson stood in the range of modern prime ministers. And he concluded that it was over for Johnson and that we should not, as a rock and roll politics cooperative, of which Michael is a part, underestimate Sunak. 
And that kind of begged the question, are we beginning to see a recovery for the Tories under Sunak and his very different style of leadership compared with Johnson? And what made me uh, reflect even more on this and decided to take it as our theme in our time together is I got quite a few emails uh, exploring this. So, first of all, a uh, fascinating email from uh, white van man driver, our white van driver, Andy Davis. Remember, uh, to any member of the cooperative, free lifts with Andy is on offer as his contribution to the cooperative. Anyway, he, I think, is a, is a great reader of the rhythms of politics. He was the one who uh, sent an email which was very perceptive about the BBC and the influence of um, the Mail in particular on BBC output recently, and he's, he's, he's done many other perceptive emails. Anyway, listen to Driver Andy in the context of what Michael Cockrell was saying in our last podcast. He says, I'm very much hope I'm wrong. But the boy's doing good right now, the boy being Sunak. He's on the front foot and that flight path towards a possible electoral recovery seems to be widening. He's split the ERG. The Windsor framework is full steam ahead, yielding the prize of photo ops with Biden next month. Johnson is self-immolating and strikers are going back. He cannily buried his tax return on the busiest political news day of the year so far. And if he keeps stringing good weeks like this together, the natural Tories of England may happily forget much of what's been done by his predecessors. Yours anxious on an A road. Uh, Yeah, yeah, well that is... um, uh, (laughs) I can see the anxiety rising in that white van of yours, Andy. And then, uh, thank you for that. So let's now move on to Steve Petrie. And Steve writes, Michael Cockrell warned us not to underestimate the current Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. And there seems to be a growing consensus that the tide may be turning in his favour. As Michael said, Sunak has had a successful few weeks. And then Stephen goes on to list, as Andy does, uh, those successes. This has marked him out as a serious politician in contrast to his chaotic predecessors. However, there is another Sunak, the culture warrior, who relishes the fight over populist policies, migration and law enforcement. Uh, Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that this week, isn't there? Um, While not seeming to care much about substantial, practical and legal obstacles to their success. Yep. Do you think this hybrid approach can restore the uh, confidence of the 29 coalition? of traditional and new red wall conservatives, as is seemingly intended, or will sufficient numbers in this coalition feel that without significant improvement to their personal economic circumstances or public services, it's time to give the other lot a chance? So there we are. There is a sort of theme developing, isn't there? And um, you can see it in uh, a lot of the uh, newspapers, columns about, at last, we've got a grown-up in charge. It feels like a new government. And columnists thinking they're original and clever by saying, I now think it is possible that the Conservatives can win the election. I've read two or three columns along those lines. So uh, let's reflect on this for a minute before we've got other brilliant questions on a whole range of themes. Um, First of all, I agree with Andy and Steve 
that it has uh, been, in, in some respects, uh, a very good few weeks for Sunak. And in contrast to the rogues um, who were previous prime ministers, uh, Johnson, a rogue, trust a sort of shallow risk-taker on a gargantuan scale. He is a grown-up, and therefore it is a statement of the obvious to say that there is a sort of grown-up in charge. But frankly, that is quite a low bar, isn't it? I mean, that means us lot could all be prime minister tomorrow because we're all mature and grown-up. We've talked about it before. The Windsor framework was an example of highly effective leadership on many different fronts. First of all, he kept his nerve. If you remember, while he was negotiating, uh, he got a lot of criticism uh, for taking too long. Uh, he got a lot of criticism for basically doing the negotiation himself without bringing others in while he was negotiating. And only after he had got a deal of sorts did he present it to uh, other MPs. And that worked. And we saw, you know, in that sort of pivotal moment, um, Steve Baker coming out, having seen the agreement. Uh, and uh, it was as if he had um, uh, read Hamlet and Macbeth simultaneously and discovered a wonderful combination of literature and theatre. I mean, he was ecstatic about that framework. And that in itself has split the ERG. Uh, there was a glorious moment. Um, I don't know whether it's apocalyptic because there were some denials about it, but where Steve Baker tried to, the other day, when the, pro uh, the framework was voted through, tried to text the WhatsApp group of the ERG group to find he was expelled. He was off the WhatsApp group. Um, which is um, a, a moment really of almost theological profundity. Steve Baker, the architect really of the RG, being kicked off the WhatsApp group. And even if that didn't happen, it, it, it is a vision um, to uh, wonder at. And that, and as we discussed, Michael Cockrell and I on the, the last podcast, the uh, inept performance of Johnson in front of the Privileges Committee. It wasn't so much inept. He just had no ammunition to go on. Um, there were these gatherings. We know there were these gatherings. Um, and so, in a way, where could he take the interrogation to his advantage? Um, now, unused to scrutiny in that detail, he avoids scrutiny. He, his genius is to avoid scrutiny. But he couldn't escape that four hours. Um, or whatever it was. And um, uh, as a result, of course, he stuttered awkwardly through it. Um, and then he voted against the Windsor framework, juring it in a sort of cinematic juxtaposition, and uh, carried only um, uh, a small number of rebels uh, with him. And so this combination is... Um, uh, one of the reasons why columnists, and there was an editorial in the Times getting ready, by the way, to enthusiastically back um, the Conservatives at the next election, all saying, oh, yes, yeah, Sunak is, is proving a highly effective prime minister. Now, I'll make uh, a couple of observations. Having said that he has uh, navigated his way through those particular storms effectively, and we might, though it is not certain, be seeing a recalibration of that insurrectionary Tory parliamentary party. Might, because insurrection has been in its bloodstream uh, since the mid-1990s, and a vote on this framework will not be enough 
to purge it of that. Anyway, we, we don't know. Uh, but yes, effective leadership. But you know what I did to prepare for this podcast? I looked at the columns and media reaction uh, to Gordon Brown when he chaired triumphantly, as it is now recognised, I think widely, uh, the G20 in London, the big gathering of world leaders after the global crash in 2008. Uh, And as some of you will remember, Brown played in a way a heroic role in the follow-up. He was well-placed as a long-serving chancellor. He knew who to phone and what to do. And um, he coordinated a fiscal stimulus of considerable significance with uh, benevolent consequences. And, and, and it was an act of will. Uh, he spent all his time speaking to Merkel and others, not natural, well, they're kind of fiscal conservatives. Uh, but he got an agreement, which famously some economist, Paul Krugman, uh, uh, concluded that Brown had saved the world, which Brown in a Freudian moment mentioned in the House of Commons. Not a single column, as far as I could see, uh, that followed that G20 said, this is a change of direction. Brown shows that he is a grown-up and uh, deserves to be looked at again as Prime Minister. Because remember, uh, ever since, really, after an early remarkable honeymoon, uh, Brown was being slaughtered in the media on a daily basis basis and um, that continued and also by parts of his own parliamentary party uh, some of the more militant Blairites were conspiring to remove him and so on all that continued and I only mention that to show uh, how lower the bar is in the British media for a conservative prime minister compared with a Labour prime minister Uh, so Sunak has, uh, as I say, deserves plaudits for his approach to the Windsor framework and one or two other things. And immediately, literally immediately, you get columns uh, saying, oh yeah, maybe the Conservatives are going to win. And at last there's a grown-up in charge. And and I say you can see the Times getting ready to enthusiastically endorse uh, Sunak at the election and uh, argue that Starmer's done nowhere near enough to change the Labour Party, even though he's gone as far as barring the last leader from standing as a Labour candidate. But anyway, so the bar is a lot lower. And so we are all going to read these columns in the coming months, and the polls will narrow. Uh, because uh, it will permeate through to the electorate, rather as in 1990 when John Major replaced Margaret Thatcher, there was a sense that here was a change of government, uh, not just a change of prime minister. There is a feeling of vitality in Sunak's energy and focus, uh, which uh, gives a kind of spring to the step of some ministers who looked so knackered and bewildered under Johnson and Truss. But even with that much lower bar, and by the way, uh, in, of course, post-2008, the media carried on slaughtering Brown and some Labour MPs briefed against him constantly. Remember in 2010, uh, many commentators, columnists, uh, were predicting a big overall majority for David Cameron. Uh, who just had to utter the word big society and everyone wrote, what a visionary. 
compared to the besieged Brown. Um, but uh, Brown still got a hung parliament. Um, I mean, it was a big loss of seats for Labour. Um, and the Tories were the biggest number in that 2010 election. Uh, but he didn't do as badly as many assumed he would. And I suspect the same in reverse is true now. But it, it's hard to read, and, and obviously predicting is treacherous in British politics. But I kind of sense that uh, the Tory brand uh, really was uh, trashed by Truss and is being trashed by Johnson. So even though they have become remarkably marginalised so quickly from the peak of power uh, to now being unable to muster a significant rebellion on Brexit, they are still around and they will still cause trouble. Let me give an example of that. Um, they are both doing these honours lists. It is now reported that Truss, you know, was there for four weeks and wrecked the economy, wants to put in those who advised her on the policies that wrecked the economy straight into the House of Lords. Johnson wants to honour his father, Paul Dacre, and so on. And when these are published, I think it will reinforce the sense, not least in the Red Wall, who are, most of them don't follow politics, but this kind of will get through, that they were conned uh, by those two uh, rogues, Johnson especially. And Sunak has a big call to make. He can block these appointments. And he probably should do to symbolise newness. And if he does, I suspect that will also give him a kind of muscularity. Um, but it's risky. Uh, you know, these two have their followers in the media still. The Mail and Telegraph, it was like reading Pravda on the day of the Johnson hearing. You know, the Mail portrayed it as a great triumph for Johnson and a terrible humiliation for Harriet Harman. I mean, how they managed to pull that off. But anyway, so it's risky for Johnson, as uh, for Sunak, to overtly take these people on. So I think there will still be a sense of disturbed turmoil at times. Um, and also uh, in the Tory party, and also Sunak himself, uh, it is important to remember, while unquestionably uh, exuding what I think is a genuine decency, seems like a nice bloke, is uh, on the Thatcherite right of his party in terms of economic policy making. And it still seems to me as outdated as a way of addressing the mountainous problems facing the UK, as it was in 2010 when uh, David Cameron and George Osborne embarked on their real-term spending cuts austerity programme. So he is a figure not quite right for the times. Robert Shrimsley, in his column in the FT, described him uh, as a small-state conservative uh, in the midst of a big-state moment. Um, and that's an awkward one for him ideologically. Um, and it's one that is not awkward to those who believe that the state can have a benevolent impact on our lives. So I think there are big problems and, and trust really did trash the brand. As we've discussed before on this podcast, uh, the bar is set much lower at all times for a Tory government. But when the pound is in difficulty and when people start losing money because interest rates soar and all the things that happen post that mad quasi-quateng budget, 
voters tend not to forget. And so I still think it is uh, a kind of almost impossible challenge for Sunak. Uh, But I never underestimate the capacity for England to vote uh, Conservative given half a chance. So I stick uh, to answer specifically uh, driver Andy's question. I still stick to the podcast I gave uh, on this a few weeks ago. There is a very, very narrow path to uh, electoral victory for Sunak. Probably at best uh, in a hung parliament, the largest party in a hung parliament, uh, which would raise all kinds of interesting questions as to whether he could govern in such a context. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And now, if it's all right with you, uh, as I sit here at this airport on my never-ending tour, let's go to some of your questions. And, of course, uh, the email to ask questions, make points, steverick14 at icloud.com. steverick14 at icloud.com. And in a way, uh, we begin by going into a sort of related uh, point, really, which is how does Labour respond uh, when or if the polls begin to narrow over this year and the build-up to the election? A key question. And we have a really interesting uh, point here, which feeds into another of the discussions we have on our uh, cooperative uh, podcast together. And it's from James Gwilt, who I bumped into after the live show in uh, Birmingham. Uh, And this is uh, James. He's a GP. Uh, I enjoyed the show in Birmingham and was delighted to speak to you briefly at the end. I'm a long-standing podcast listener and a Patreon subscriber. Yeah, and it was great to meet you, James. Uh, I've noted that the Rock and Roll Politics Cooperative lacks a medical correspondent. So as a GP, I wanted to share some reflections with you about Labour's health policies uh yeah that you're welcome uh, to perform that role james if you could all treat us when we're ill uh that would be great as well anyway he was uh, one of the themes of the live shows at the moment of words and consequences and he says there's something similar about words and consequences going on with labor's health policies recently west streeting has used hostile and unfair language to describe gps describing the funding of practices as murky, the provision of life-saving vaccinations as money for old rope, and that too often the NHS is run for the benefit of doctors rather than patients. He's inevitably calling for a politician's favourite solution, reform, including the introduction of pathways for individuals to access specialist NHS care directly without first needing to see a GP. This change would have big consequences. 
In framing his arguments around personal attacks on my profession, Streeting has alienated a significant number of doctors who would be otherwise inclined to vote Labour at the next election. He cannot unsay the words. They're clearly a play to the Telegraph and Daily Mail, both publications having relentlessly attacked GPs since the pandemic. They risk falling into the new Labour trap of appeasing the right-wing press in an attempt to win the election which, as Neil Lawson of Compass said recently in your podcast, will leave them with little space to deliver a left-leaning agenda. And the policies themselves risk overwhelming already overstretched hospital services. Uh, Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, in fairness to Wes Streeting, James, I completely agree with you on this. As you know, I agree, because it's one of our favourite themes on the podcast, uh, exploring what people mean by this ubiquitous term reform which tony blair made fashionable with the juxtaposition reform versus anti-reform as if there is only one reform and everything else is anti-reform um there are many now west streeting has a huge challenge at the moment he has got to with every justification condemn the current state of the nhs but he's not allowed to spend more than a few halfpennies in um, pledging to improve the NHS, even though we would all agree, uh, even though we disagree about how you raise the money, it needs investment as well as, boom, 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 reform. And he's not allowed really to say that beyond this money to be raised from a non-DOM tax, which is going to pay for childcare and a transformed NHS, um, which, of course, it won't, but they're not allowed really to talk beyond, uh, beyond that. So... Um, he has he is heavily constrained hence his trying to find other ways of uh, showing the NHS can be improved but I, I agree with you that it is counterproductive to um, focus on reforms which are clearly deeply flawed and uh, alienate quite a significant section of the NHS probably not just GPs but as you say hospitals already overwhelmed would become even more so if uh, GPs are bypassed by this sort of oh I'll just phone up a specialist uh, route so thank you and please keep us informed by uh, 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 James actually we have got other doctors in the cooperative in fact one uh, has emailed uh, this week uh, James, uh, who I'll be reading out a bit later on. He's a cold water swimmer and a doctor. Uh, oh, he's next, actually. Uh, um, but thank you, James. Keep us informed with your views. And uh, James ends by uh, saying, hopefully, I'll be back live in the Midlands soon. Yeah, definitely, James. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, on to another doctor. It's like Faulty Towers here. Two doctors. Ah, yes, two doctors. Mark Harper. It says, I'm looking forward to coming to your show in Brighton at the Old Market on April the 24th and hope we can meet up for a drink and or a swim. Yeah, I say Mark has written a book about cold water swimming, which is brilliant. And um, I look forward to seeing you in Brighton and hopefully a lot more of you in the cooperative will come to that live show. It will be a completely new show by April the 24th. God knows where we will be at that point. Um, Anyway, Mark says, Keir Starmer is perfectly aware of the damage Brexit has done and continues to deliver to the economy. No doubt his position on not joining the single market is one of electoral expediency. However, he's not stupid, so I'm sure he must have a plan to reduce friction in trade with the EU. What do you think? And what are the options? Yeah, I think he has got a plan, uh, Mark, and they're exploring 
uh, this now. Um, they won't rejoin the single market. It's been unequivocally ruled out. And when something has been ruled out with such a lack of any qualifying phrase, um, that is it. Um, but what I think they are looking at is um, ways in which they can uh, align uh, with the regulations of the EU. And um, I know uh, some shadow cabinet members who have that kind of trade uh, brief are looking in quite a lot of detail at the moment and in discussion with uh, the EU about how this might um, work. So, yeah, they are looking at how far they can go to improve on Lord Frosty Frost and Johnson's Brexit deal. Uh, and the more those two are exposed as the buffoons that they are, the more I think the focus will return to that deal and how bad it was. Remember, no one scrutinised it. It was just the two of them. And what a duo to choose uh, to embark on that historic, calamitous course. So I think that there is that they are looking at how far they can go, but that will not be the... Uh, single market, which will present problems however far they do try and go. Growth. They won't get the growth they need outside that single market. Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, look forward to seeing you in Brighton. Hopefully many more of you in Brighton on April the 24th. Come for a swim. Get the lot with these shows. Uh, Stuart Payner writes, I said, I, as I work my through the body of old podcasts on my regular Wolverhampton to London Avanti train journey, which from my recent experience are in better shape than German railways, by the way. Wow, uh, that is a revelation. I've reached uh, the discussions on House of Lords reform. Yeah, we discussed that uh, recently, Stuart. I remember In all discussions I recall paying attention to, the matter under consideration has been what form a second chamber should take. But I haven't heard much discussion on whether we need a second chamber in the first place. And uh, Stuart thinks we don't. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I've wondered that as well in my time, uh, Stuart. I mean, there's all the agony about how you, if you scrap the House of Lords, what form an elected chamber should have, what power it should have. Whereas if you scrapped it and just left it to the House of Commons, the democratically elected uh, chamber, to get on with it, um, uh, in a way it's the simplest way of dealing with this anomaly. I mean, there are kind of drawbacks with it. You know, I mean, take Europe, uh, which we've just been talking about with uh, Mark Harper's question. You know, sometimes some of us who have despaired about Frosty Frost and Johnson have been thrilled when the Lords have challenged what's going on. And with, um, you know, the sort of Sunak's populist uh, approach vis-a-vis the boat crisis and so on, uh, we turn often to the House of Lords and say, well, thank God they're there. It's going to be very difficult to get out of the European Convention of Human Rights when the House of Lords are where they are. So, So there are drawbacks, but I think it is, in a way, the cleanest and simplest thing would just be to have one chamber. Some countries do it kind of works. On to uh, Venetia Kane. Now, Venetia Kane has sort of followed the theme, the earlier theme of the podcast. Rishi Sunak, it's agreed, has had a good week or so. Boris Johnson, a bad one. Contributing to both has been the only 22 rebel Tory MPs. How far was this due to the leadership of Steve Baker? 
Is it Steve Baker, the kingmaker, or was it more due to the canoness of Rishi Sunak in appointing him Northern Ireland Minister of State? You know what, uh, Venetia, I think Steve Baker is becoming one of the more interesting politicians of our era. Um, I was talking at King's Place at that during the party conference, he said, look, I've got a lot of things wrong, including my opposition to taking the knee. And if it's all right with all of you, I'm going to take the knee now. And it was all like watching some kind of progressive figure coming from a, uh, a kind of left of center workshop. It was all weird. Um, but unquestionably, when he backed the uh, Windsor framework, it did sort of personify a significant shift in favor of uh, Sunak's negotiating prowess in that particular case. He was already Northern Ireland minister and it stayed on. Um, God knows, I, it's, I can't remember whether it was Truss or Johnson who made him Northern Ireland minister. But I'm going to try and interview him because um, he's in an interesting place. Now, I always like reading Dominica Jewell's emails out because she gives us a different perspective uh, in the cooperative. Uh, she's our French correspondent, as is as in being in France. I understand that strike action is taking place in the UK, in which the main participants are passport office staff, nurses, ambulance workers, junior doctors, university staff, teachers, civil servants, rail workers, postal workers. Meanwhile, all of the above have been drowned out by the BBC uh, by choosing to lead for two consecutive days on the domestic problems of the French president, significant and worrying as they are. Exasperated from Normandy... Dominica. Uh, yeah, but you must admit, Dominica, you know I usually agree with you. It is quite very interesting what's happening in, in France on many different levels. I mean, first of all, ju- just the issue of the pensionable age. Here it's 67. Uh, in France, there are these uh, intense protests for a much younger uh, age from which um, um, uh, Macron wants to raise it to introduce pensions. But but Macron's authority does appear to be being deeply challenged by this. So I do think it is genuinely interesting and raises questions about Macron's strategic approach and, and, and the huge differences between France and Britain, not about strikes. We, we've been overwhelmed by them, although some of them have been sorted, but over issues about kind of rights and responsibilities. Um, but thank you for reminding us about the issues here. Now, uh, what are the way forward for the uh, Northern Ireland Assembly? Because although Sunak has, as we've been discussing throughout this uh, podcast, had a triumph with the framework, the Windsor framework, the DUP are not going to return to the Northern Ireland Assembly. And Jeff Strange, who now in the email tells me um, he's listening to the podcast as I sit on a bench with a wee hip flask looking out to sea from the Cork coastline. God, it's, that sounds so tough, Jeff. Um, anyway, he thinks there are two options to deal with this ongoing vacuum, which is a real crisis in Northern Ireland. Chris Heaton-Harris, uh, the Northern Ireland Secretary, calls for fresh Stormont elections if the DUP continue to refuse taking part in power sharing. That could lead to the complete marginalisation of the DUP as a political force if they're not already considering Sunak's clever 
uh, and decisive vote on the Windsor framework. Uh, well, they voted against, as you know, along with uh, 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 old Johnson and uh, Lizzie Truss. Or Sunak becomes the only second UK Prime Minister since Gordon Brown to actively take part in a joint council of North-South ministers and facilitate cooperation of sorts at Stormont, whereby the SDLP, Alliance, Sinn Féin, UUP run the show with or without the DUP. I sense an end game here. Well, Jeff, you're, you're sitting drinking your whiskey or whatever in uh, Dublin. Uh, no, Cork, Cork. Uh, and in a way, better place to make that judgment. So I, I will just leave it there that you see those as the two likely next moves to fill the vacuum of an assembly still not sitting. OK, thanks, Jeff. Enjoy your uh, whiskey or whatever you're drinking. Hugh Davis from Aberdeen. I uh, massively enjoy your podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Often with a glass of non-alcoholic wine. Uh, Yeah, I've tried non-alcoholic wine with mixed results, I have to say. Um, Most uh, people who write from Scotland are drinking stronger stuff, Hugh. Do you ever come to Aberdeen? No, but I would love to. Coming up to the Edinburgh Festival, so do come down, Hugh. Last two weeks of the Edinburgh Festival every day. Now that it's possible, we are witnessing the potential demise of Boris Johnson. I would love to have your opinion on what seems to have been an entirely cynical ploy of his in which he avoided domestic difficulties at home by frequently flying off to Kiev and scoring cheap political points in doing so. Is it easier in some respects to be a wartime prime minister than a peacetime one? Easier to be a Churchill than an athlete? Well, it's interesting because in some respects... When there are these international crises and uh, you have someone like Johnson uh, going out, speaking to Zelensky, offering uh, military support and so on, it is more straightforward than, say, dealing with social care, which he promised to do in his opening address as uh, uh, Prime Minister in July 2019. Uh, So my answer is yes, actually, not in all cases. And and Churchill unquestionably... (laughs) faced huge challenges uh, in 1940. Let's, I don't think we should underestimate them. Uh, but you're right to say that Attlee faced different ones, but equally thorny in 45. So it is in some ways an easier thing. And, uh, you know, when Johnson kept on saying, oh, I'm phone, phoned up Zelensky, well, that's easy. That is easy um, compared to, say, social care and finding the money for childcare, uh, sorting out trains, etc., etc. And finally, uh, Pamela says, was interested in a question put to you in today's podcast. How can you remain calm whilst there is so much turmoil in society and government, etc.? Uh, and uh, Pamela, uh, very comforting, says, you are a commentator. Your role is not to give vent to your own frustrations, but to facilitate discussion with our listening audience, giving us the benefit of your years of political journalism and insight. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm limited though they are, Pamela. From a personal perspective, I wouldn't be interested if your podcast was a rant, like some radio, TV, talk shows, people screaming over each other. In my opinion, good podcasts allow for reflection and thinking. Yeah, I'm thrilled to hear that, Pamela, because that's my instinct. Uh, As I've said before, it is an act. I am furious with the state of this dysfunctional country, furious, and can see the way it could become functional again, as we all explore every twice a week on this podcast. Uh, but I, I think it's better to remain calm. Uh, oh, guess what? I'm here. The flight is coming. 
um, a bit earlier than expected. But that was the last question I was going to read out. Thanks so much. I had hundreds. We'll read more out when uh, I get the chance. So, yeah, I'm off to Belfast for a live show. Hope to see some of you in Shoreham on Wednesday and uh, Barna Castle on Saturday at the Witham. And, uh, yeah, uh, great interview coming up later in the week, so do subscribe so you get that. And uh, see you all soon. I better get this flight. Thanks so much. Bye.